Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. First Republic Bank meant something to the Bay Area's elite. The bank provided them with low-rate mortgages sized for the Bay Area's ridiculous housing market, and it gave them a kind of customer service that seemed from a different era. First Republic was old school in another way, too. It actually worked like banks used to. It took savings deposits in and loaned those dollars back out. But like many savings and loans of yesteryear, when the Federal Reserve raised interest rates, they got caught in a cash squeeze. Too much of their money lent long. Now, the bank is gone. The FDIC took it over and sold it to J.P. Morgan Chase. We'll talk about what the bank meant and what the heck happened. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. There is the obvious effect of the First Republic bank failure. J.P. Morgan Chase is now the owner of the bank, and along with all the customers it scooped up when Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, J.P. Morgan Chase is suddenly a very major player in the Bay Area banking environment. But there will be a variety of aftershocks. Major local nonprofits relied on First Republic, which saw itself as part of this community. And because commercial real estate developers saw First Republic as the best source of capital for their projects, some even think that housing production will now decline in our region. Even the streetscape will start to look a bit different as branches switch over to new branding. And it makes you wonder, too, will there be another bank like First Republic with its grounding in old-school customer service principles? I mean, maybe the bank for the new tech elite will mostly just be an app. But before we get into what happened and all the repercussions, let's first bring in some panelists to discuss what First Republic was as an institution and what it meant to the region. Joined first by Mark Calvi, a senior reporter covering banking and finance with the San Francisco Business Times. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. It's good to be here. And Rachel Louise Ensign, reporter with The Wall Street Journal who covers millionaires and billionaires. Thanks for having me. So, Rachel, tell us, I mean, what was First Republic Bank? 
First Republic was a bank geared towards wealthy people and their business model was simple. They gave wealthy people top-notch customer service that they really couldn't get at a mega bank and um, won over a ton of their business that way. They had their checking accounts. They gave them loans. A lot of the times these were really favorable mortgages to buy very expensive properties and the bank was extremely successful at doing this. They were really the envy of the industry for a long time, um, but they didn't really realize that their business model didn't work that well in a world of higher interest rates and things started going south. And then once SVB collapsed, they were um, subject to a massive run themselves and the bank failed. And we'll get more into that in just a second. I mean, they also they famously gave Mark Zuckerberg a loan. I think what was the interest rate? It was like a little over one percent, right? For yeah, a little over one percent. Yeah, yeah. And they, um, I mean, when we had asked them for comment on that at the time, they didn't want to talk about his loan specifically, but they said bigger customers for us, you know, get better rates, and that was the model. You know, leave a ton of money at our bank, and we'll give you a mortgage with amazing terms. Yeah. So how did they build this kind of reputation for, you know, high net worth clients and kind of being an aspirational bank? They built it through their customer service, it, it seems. You know, they really took customer service very seriously. They paid their bankers to reflect that. You know, bankers made money. Most of their pay was based on how many deposits and loans they brought in and they really earned a tremendous amount of customer loyalty by always going that extra mile for people and taking really great pride in doing that. Yeah. So First Republic, should be said, has a had a pretty great reputation among a lot of nonprofits that, that banked with them. But you also worked on a huge feature in 2016 on First Republic and found that the bank was finding creative ways to kind of get out of lending to lower income communities. Right. We did a story that looked at the share of their mortgages that went to lower income people, to members of different minority groups, and the share was very, very low. And what the bank said was, you know, we, we're trying, we're going to put in place these new programs, but at the end of the day, our business model is lending to rich people. This is our clientele. And we help lower income people in other ways, for instance, by um, backing apartment projects that might have um, an affordable housing component, for instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mark Calvi, talk to me a little bit about the history of First Republic. Like who, who founded it? Uh, Jim Herbert founded the bank in 1985. And it was initially a, a, a thrift basically making auto loans. And he said at one point that he kept getting customers coming in, you know, venture capitalists and the like, wanting to get home mortgages. And it was a challenge because uh, people were leery about making these uh, mortgages on high-priced homes in the Bay Area at the, at the, in the early days of Silicon Valley, as we know it today. And so he and his team spent a weekend saying, how can we make these loans? What can we do? And uh, he, he uh, went to that avenue of catering to the wealthy and buying homes with substantial other assets that they could park at the bank, as Rachel said. So that's really the roots of the of the bank. Mm -hmm. 
And that's because just sort of the financial picture for a lot of these folks isn't like a W-2 with a pay stub that doesn't change, right? It's complex. That's exactly right. Uh, maybe their income's on other tax forms like a K-1. So they have to document that income or their assets differently than a, a standard mortgage that might eventually be purchased by the government. Government. So yeah. it's, a, it's a different ballgame. So what do you think it means to have been the sort of largest regional bank in the Bay Area? It's it's quite a um, a loss to see the largest regional bank be taken over. When I sat down with Jim Herbert last fall, he was uh, committed to remaining in San Francisco, even though we've lost some other banks, maybe lost some of our stature within the banking sent, uh, sector. But um, now that's all gone by the wayside. So it's, it is a loss. Like, what do you think it will actually change kind of on the ground? I think on the ground, it's going to make it difficult, more difficult for the wealthy to get their mortgages. Uh, they may have to jump through more hoops. Uh, we may see uh, business customers or the, the developers that are trying to build housing. They may have to, uh, more of a challenge getting the financing, um, especially uh, in, in the months ahead, as it appears other banks are pulling in the reins on their lending. Hmm. You know, so we talked a little bit, Rachel mentioned uh, at the top, the, the kind of triggers for, for what happened. Um, can we talk just a little bit of when the trouble began? Because I've been trying to piece together this timeline here. I mean, the Fed starts raising rates in March of uh, 2022, and the bank seemed like it was in fine shape all the way to February 2023. Um, so w what are the, the components here aside from the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank? I think uh, a key component is those rate hikes. It's a, a very aggressive string of rate hikes that have occurred over the last year or so, as you mentioned. And the value of the existing loans and other securities on the bank's books fall in value as interest rates rise. And if you are try, if you were to try to sell them into the market, you would have to offer a lower price to match the prevailing market interest rates. So it's a big hit for, um, for a bank to see those loans fall in value. And I think that's what swept up uh, Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic into this crisis. Yeah. Rachel, you also identified uh, some other components of the trouble, though, too, right? Because depositors started to move their money even before uh, the major troubles. Right. So as the Fed was raising rates, this these issues were happening on um, kind of a low level, like a manageable level, not not great, but not an existential problem for the bank. And essentially, wealthy people are very savvy customers, and they have large sums of money at the bank in a lot of instances. And if someone is keeping $100,000 in a savings account or nothing, they're much more likely to use that than you know, a person with a checking account at B of A who has like $4,000 in it, they use that for their day-to-day -day transactions. They're not going to move that money. So wealthy people were already moving money into higher yielding alternatives. And the bank was being forced to offer them things like CDs at high rates to keep them around. Even then deposits were still on pace to be down a little bit in the first quarter, they said. But it was bad for their profits, not horrible. And then um, as soon as SVB happened, it went on to another level. Yeah. Just to explain uh, a little bit more about what you're saying, basically 
before they were able to take people's money in and pay almost nothing for that money and then lend it to somebody else for like a few percent. But if they have to pay depositors more for the money that's coming in, um, they are, that's directly cutting into uh, their their profits there, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, their whole business model as they expanded in the decade plus of super low rates was grow deposits, pay people very little on their deposits, and then use that money to make these very low rate mortgages um, and keep those mortgages on the books. So basically, as soon as they started having to pay more on deposits, they were stuck with these loans at really low rates. And that just sort of gums up the math of what a bank needs to do to make money, which is basically um, borrow from depositors at a much lower rate than you are lending to your other customers. Mark, you know, when Silicon Valley Bank blew up, there were all these questions about the management and risk officers and all these different things. But this, you know, this was a bank that had a widely admired founder and management team. But there was a hitch in the succession plan, right? They weren't able to actually bring in the successor to the founder in the way that they wanted to. Um, Can you tell us just like really briefly, like what happened there? And do you think that had any effect on the ultimate demise of the bank? Yes, they brought in a woman from Goldman Sachs who was the CEO heir apparent And that went off the rails. Uh, Don't know the inside story on why that fell apart. But clearly there were issues that that did not happen. And so they then tapped another uh, longer term CEO, a better executive as CEO. So that's there was that, you know, transition uh, problem. And we don't know yet what role that may have played in the bank's downfall. We're talking about the demise of First Republic Bank and what it means for San Francisco and the Bay Area. Joined by Mark Calvi, senior reporter covering banking and finance with the San Francisco Business Times, and Rachel Louise Ensign, a reporter with the Wall Street Journal covering millionaires and billionaires. Were you a First Republic customer? Will you miss something about the, the bank? Did you know your banker's name? Is it scary to kind of go through this kind of transition? What are your questions about if this will hurt the broader Bay Area economy or philanthropy sectors, nonprofits? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the demise of First Republic Bank, what it means for San Francisco Bay Area and our key industries here. Joined by Mark Calvi, senior reporter covering banking finance at the San Francisco Business Times, and Rachel Louise Ensign, a reporter with the Wall Street Journal, covers millionaires and billionaires for the paper. One add another voice. Jeremy Owens is technology editor and San Francisco bureau chief at MarketWatch. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, Alexis. Jeremy, maybe set us up with what First Republic's role was with the tech world in San Francisco. I mean, we know there's a lot of non-tech money in San Francisco, but there's also a lot of tech money. Were they banking with First Republic? Very much so. I mean, a lot of them are very high net worth individuals. That was First Republic's whole thing, right? Silicon Valley Bank was there to service the tech companies. Uh, First Republic was there to service their founders and executives and and the millionaires and billionaires that those companies created. And the crash here of both those banks is really, you know, those that centered on them, right? Mm -hmm. Tech companies ripped their money out of Silicon Valley Bank. That crashed. Now we've got the high net worth individuals who were incentivized with these low mortgage rates and other. Uh, offerings to bring in their investment portfolio and their savings account and everything else into that. As soon as Silicon Valley Bank crashed and they heard, oh, only $250,000 is insured, they started moving their money and diversifying. And and that is really what crashed that. So it it really was a lot of tech. Now, obviously, as you say, there are other rich people in the Bay Area that are not aligned with tech, so it's not completely on them. But but it was those high net worth individuals that were the, the core of what First Republic did. Yeah. Rachel Louis Henson, how come First Republic didn't go down kind of in the first round, like as this contagion spread, right? There were these different measures that were taken to try to stabilize the bank, including getting $30 billion from a bunch of other big banks. Yeah, it's a great question. And there were obviously weeks and weeks when we were all wondering what would happen with First Republic. Um, Basically, these three banks, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, which is based in New York, and First Republic, just had these huge deposit runs in a number in a matter of days. The deposit run at First Republic was actually the largest, but I guess just because of um, technicalities, First Republic was able to actually get emergency funding from the Federal Reserve and this other emergency lender called the Federal Home Loan Bank um, to keep it alive. And the other two banks were not able to to get that set up in time. So that lifeline was crucial for First Republic. Um, And then on top of that, the week after Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, the other the, the biggest banks in the country, 11 of the biggest banks banded together to deposit money into First Republic with the idea that it would be a show of confidence in the bank. You know, hey, if we're putting our money in here, we believe this bank is safe. Um, and just to give give First Republic a lifeline, but it it became apparent that that was not going to be enough, especially when they announced their earnings last week and for the first time disclosed just how big that deposit run was and showed financials that essentially showed that it would be extremely difficult for this bank 
unless the Fed, you know, cut rates to zero tomorrow, which they're not going to do to be a viable entity, basically. Well, and Mark Calvi, I think the, the number there was $100 billion got pulled out, right? Something like that? Yes, and it's hard for any bank to survive that type of dramatic uh, pullout of deposits. Yeah, yeah. You know, here's one of my other questions for you as a resident regional banking expert here. So uh, obviously many regional banks around the country have made long mortgage loans, you know, 30-year long mortgages. I mean, this is what allows many people to buy homes as this kind of very specific product of the American mortgage. And of course, First Republic got blown up because of of these. But the price of all, all those loans, if people were to take them out to the market, as you've noted, would be lower because interest rates are higher and it's, uh, it, it's things move in these other um, directions. So does this mean that basically every regional bank has like a small version of the First Republic problem? There's no doubt these type of uh, mortgages are found throughout the banking system. Other regional banks that I believe uh, tend to be more diversified in terms of their customer base, uh, which is a plus, and also in terms of their business lines. So these other regional banks, uh, they have the diversity of their business model may help them. But no doubt, we're all watching carefully to see if problems emerge elsewhere in the banking system. Because let's say the bank had had done more credit cards or auto loans, those things might have led them to have a more diversified loan portfolio. Absolutely. Auto loans are shorter term. Um, the credit cards, there are so many other lines of business that might have offset the the weakness in their mortgage portfolio, yeah. but uh, they just uh, were very concentrated. Yeah. Before we go to the phone lines, Mark, I'm going to stick with you for, for one other question. I mean, isn't what happened to First Republic literally exactly what happened to savings and loans across the country in the 1980s when the Fed raised rates the last time? I mean, wasn't this like, shouldn't this have been, um, I mean, it's so directly comparable if you go back and read that history. Yes, it is. And maybe uh, memories are were failing uh, among senior leadership because it's the exact same thing that happened with the, in the SNL crisis. The, the value of assets fell the uh, deposit rate soared. People were pulling money out to go into money market funds. Uh, it's very. It has echoes of the 1980s SNL crisis. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was in 2021. I was reading uh, that history, <laughs> and when the Fed started to raise rates, it was sort of like it seemed so directly comparable. And yet, um, you know, like I said earlier, for 11 months, the market uh, had shares of First Republic near their peaks at about $150 a share. I think they were around you know, $350 when the bank was eventually taken over. Um, let's bring in um, some callers. We have a couple uh, customers on the line. Um, Sarah in San Francisco, welcome to the show. Hey, Sarah, can you hear us? We'll come back to you. We'll come back to you. We're going to go to uh, Mel in um, Richmond. Welcome, Mel. Something going on with the phones, I think. Um, let's uh, go back to you, uh, Jeremy. Is this going to be a problem, you think, for the local economy? I mean, you're San Francisco, um, you know, bureau chief for MarketWatch. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's going to be harder to build 
Right. As you kind of mentioned earlier, First Republic was so much into commercial real estate and other things, and they had a vested interest in, in getting things done in this area and being seen as getting things done in this area. If you go back to Silicon Valley Bank, they were really into affordable housing being built, and, and, and they were a really big part of that system. And, and so I think a lot of that, I don't know if JP Morgan is going to have an interest in getting a lot of those projects built uh, that, that took over First Republic, obviously. Uh, the, the bank in North Carolina that took over Silicon Valley Bank's assets. I don't think they're going to have a big interest in getting affordable housing done in the Bay Area. But one thing these regional banks did bring is a focus on the region. And mm -hmm. the big banks that are taking them over are not going to have that same interest, are not going to have that same approach. Now, they if, if a high net worth individual wants to get something done, I'm sure they'll get it done, but it's not going to be first in their minds. The, the the big New York banks worry about big New York bank stuff, not what's getting built in the Bay Area. Yeah. Do you think this is, Rachel, an indication of some, you know, huge shift in what's how banking is going to work in this country away from this customer service model, given that, you know, the three banks that grew with this model uh, all suffer these collapses? Certainly. These three banks, like you said, Signature, SVB, and um, First Republic, this was this was their bread and butter. And they said that this made them extremely safe. The fact they were so close with their clients, they gave such good customer service. They, I, I interviewed someone about Signature and they said, you know, our Signature banker was at everyone's child's weddings and bar mitzvahs. Like, these these bankers were on a first name basis with a lot of their customers. They were like family, but at the end of the day, when people worry about the safety of your institution, they just kind of cast that aside and pull their money. Um, so, I mean, there are a lot of banks, much much smaller banks, that mm. do still provide this personalized service and will continue to. Um, but whether this model is viable on the scale that these banks did it is definitely um, a big question mark, I think. Yeah. You know, Mark, um, why was J.P. Morgan the go-to bank to quell this crisis? Or at least to uh, play, a, play a role in the crisis? Yes, well, certainly the size of their balance sheet, the amount of resources they have that they could bring to the table uh, was significant to, um, I assume, to be the lowest cost to the deposit insurance fund run by the FDIC. So they certainly had the the clout and the power and the willingness to uh, step up and, and were able to do so in a big way. Hmm. You know, First Republic also um, had a really high profile locally. Like you'd you'd go to an event, and it would be like in San Francisco, it'd be sponsored by by First Republic. Um, they also banked for a lot of nonprofits. Does that change in the J.P. Morgan Chase world? Like, um, talk to me about how that might work. Is there another regional bank that could step into the in, into the breach here? It's hard to imagine another regional bank with the ability uh, of a First Republic to step into the breach in that big of a way. Um, not only were they doing the theaters and the, the high-profile arts organizations like the San Francisco Ballet, but First Republic customers would tell me even their smaller uh, nonprofit events could get funding just by speaking with a local branch manager. And that's not how the model for a, a big bank like Chase to uh, give that much clout to a, a branch manager to make a decision on something like that. Yeah. You know, Jeremy, we do have a lot of 
local names leaving, kind of hitting hard times. I mean, we just did a show about the A's, you know, Gap Inc. You know, we've had the tech companies with a, with a lot of layoffs. Like, what are, what are you making of this? Uh, is there, you know, this larger title movements that we just think will, you know, reverse and eventually things will, will look up? Or is there something changing in the kind of regional economy here? Well, it's the end of a tech boom. Right. We have seen pretty much unfettered, strong growth since the end of the, the banking crisis. But even really during that time, Silicon Valley tech was still growing crazy. Right. That was when Facebook first really started out here. And, and with the development of the iPhone in 07, the development of Amazon Web Services in 06, we had this mobile and cloud boom that has led to unfettered growth for, for 15 years or more now, Alexis. And that is ending. And we're watching it end in real time. And and, and now, the Silicon Valley economy has always been a boom and bust economy. And I now the boom is ending. You can see, is it going to be a bust on the other end? We don't always have to have a bust, right? It, there could be a slow deflation of growth or a, a zillion different things can happen. But we are in the most uncertain time for Silicon Valley, for the tech ecosystem in, in 15 years or more, so really since the, the, the 08 crisis and maybe even since the dot-com bust in, in 2000, 2001. And, and people don't know what is coming next. We we do not know if if these layoffs are just letting a little pressure out and we'll be fine and, and maybe even growth reinvigorates on the other side. But that uncertainty is is filtering through everything that happens in the Bay Area right now, including these these bank crises. Yeah. We have a, uh, since we're still having some things on the phones right now, I want to get to uh, some customer experiences. Carol writes in to say, my accounts are still with First Republic because the other banks don't provide customer service. First Republic could be reached with a phone number at the bank, which was always answered by someone, not a menu. Runs can ruin any bank, and ultimately it was the customers who ruined First Republic. Well, I'm glad my savings are safe. I plan to leave Chase uh, when Chase closes branches. It's a mistake for the federal government to create banks that are too big to fail, since there are inevitable failures, and those failures will cost a huge amount of money when they occur. The Fed would do far better to hold them accountable when they steal from customers, but no one seems to care about Chase's mismanagement of safe deposit boxes and customer accounts. We saw with SVB that they didn't act until it was too late, and the news media frightening customers, with the news media frightening customers, no bank is safe. What can we do if we don't want to support huge monopolies? Retired people who save their money can easily have more than $250,000 maximum covered by the FDIC. What are we to do? Take our money home and hide it? It certainly looks like banks are not safe places. I wish more of my fellow First Republic customers hadn't been manipulated uh, by fear. Boy, there's a lot in that comment. Um, I think maybe the first place to go with it, um, Rachel, you do cover millionaires and billionaires. Uh, seems like regional banks generate millionaires, and you know the the big two bank to fail, too big to fail banks generate billionaires. Um, how should we be thinking about that right now as we kind of look at First Republic and, and Chase? As in, um, billionaires bank at those banks, or you know, people who work at those banks become millionaires and billionaires. Yeah, more the more the latter, more that you know these these. The, the more concentrated the banking industry is, the kind of bigger the dollars get for the uh, people at the top. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true that, you know, the CEOs of the very biggest U.S. banks make more money. Um, but I mean, I, I did actually cover the regional and community mid-sized banks for a long time. And I mean, in a lot of communities, and this is something that you you have kind of been reflecting even in San Francisco, these bankers are 
some of the most high profile people and the wealthiest people in their communities. Probably, you know, I, I always used to say that if Jamie Dimon walks down the street in New York, no one probably turns and looks at him. But, you know, in smaller cities, these regional bankers are so important and, and so valuable. But but at the same time, you know, there there certainly is um a a question about the increasing concentration in the industry and it's just been headed in that direction for decades fewer and fewer banks um smaller banks having a harder time making it and it doesn't really seem to be slowing down or reversing in the future well and certainly in this case mark calvi right the by the current regulatory rules jp morgan chase would not have been able to by First Republic, generally speaking, but they were given kind of an exception because of this crisis. That's exactly right. For a long time, there's been a, in place a restriction on banks that hold 10% or more of the nation's deposits from acquiring more banks. Uh, but an exception was made Sunday night, Sunday night uh, for them to go ahead and proceed with this First Republic deal. But clearly, I think in Washington, there's a lot of support for you know have, maintaining community banks, regional banks, these smaller banks that can uh, provide a yes when the big banks say, no, we're not going to make a loan. There's alternatives for these uh, customers and business customers to turn to maybe a, a local banker at another institution. Is there a certain, you know, these banks that we are talking about were sort of major regional banks. It, is it actually safer at the small end too, like in the community banking space? I know there were some uh, community banks saying they were actually receiving deposits during the initial stages of this crisis. Uh, and maybe there's a, a feeling like I can call the head of the bank, I can call the CEO of the bank and talk to him, I know him. Uh, there may be a, a closer connection that these business owners have with uh, maybe the smaller community banks that uh, played in their favor in the crisis. Uh, and I know uh, even from the other side of the table, uh, community banks have told me we're our business customers' capital lifeline. So there may be more of an understanding or an appreciation of the relationship between the, uh, a business bank, I mean, a business customer and their bank on the smaller side. Yeah. We're talking about the demise of First Republic Bank, what it means for San Francisco and the Bay Area. We're joined by Mark Calvi, senior reporter covering banking and finance for the San Francisco Business Times. Rachel Louise Ensign, a reporter with the Wall Street Journal who covers millionaires and billionaires. And Jeremy Owens, technology editor and San Francisco bureau chief with MarketWatch. We are going to get to your calls in the next segment. Uh, you might Phone lines are full right now, so you might want to try the email to forum at KQED. Dot org, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum. And the question we're really asking is, you know, we'd love to talk to more First Republic customers and see how you're feeling, or folks who are kind of worried about the Bay Area economy in general and the health of these major employers and, and institutions. Stay tuned. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the demise of First Republic Bank, what it means for the Bay Area. Joined by Market Watch's Jeremy Owens, The Wall Street Journal's Rachel Louise Ensign, and the San Francisco Business Times' Mark Calvi. Mark, this uh, listener question is probably for you. Um, a lot of talks about the risk to high-wealth individuals. What will happen to all the First Republic employees and their jobs, and especially their stocks they received as part of their compensation? Well, Senior management typically exits stage right so that we can expect that. Uh, but many of the uh, employees will be needed to maintain the customer relationships and the operations. And I know uh, Chase leadership is already reaching out to these uh, employees, hoping to retain many of them. Uh, unfortunately, uh, their stack, uh, their stack in the bank is gone. Um, it's worthless uh, if in terms of First Republic's uh, shares. Mm-hmm. So that is a huge hit. That's always a huge hit when you uh, have a bank failure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's see if we can get these uh, phones rolling. Let's go to uh, Sarah in San Francisco. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Great. Wonderful. Excellent. Um, I thank you so much for taking my phone call. I have Um, A personal story, I will also say that my husband has worked at First Republic for 21 years, so Mm. clearly I've drunk the Kool-Aid, but I'll tell you my personal story that really changed my opinion about the bank. Um, My parents, my mother passed very suddenly in 2016. I had to take over all of the bank accounts because my father had Louis Body's dementia. I had a six-month-old and I went to Bank of America to try to do this. And because of the bureaucracy and maybe the huge nature, I'm not really sure. They couldn't help me with basic tasks. Mm -hmm. Across the street was First Republic. I had one bank account there, and I would go across the street and get it something notarized. I would go across the street (laughs) and nurse my child. I would go across the street and get a bathroom break. I don't know. Everything was so much easier, kinder, more empathetic. It wasn't just about the cookies. Mm. And I forever changed the way I thought about banking. I moved most of my accounts once I was able to take control of my parents' accounts. And I am devastated by this loss because it really has been part of our community and it really helped me at one of my lowest moments as a only mm-hmm. child. Mm-hmm. And what about like, are you worried about your famine jobs and the. Yes. I'm totally beyond worried about that mm-hmm. too. Um, you were just talking about the stock options. I mm-hmm. won't even get into what my poor husband is feeling right now, mm-hmm. but yes, I mean, I'm also worried on a 
family level about all the things. But um, mm-hmm. anyways, it's just a real loss. It's a real loss. And I know, you know, the, the, the profile is they help the wealthy, but not only the wealthy. They helped a lot of people, as, as one of your speakers said. They helped nonprofits. They helped education. They had a huge education um, group. A lot. Of, I was a teacher up until last year. Many of the schools I worked with were banking with uh, First Republic. Thank you for that call, Sarah. Appreciate that uh, that perspective. Let's go to Albert in uh, Rio Vista. Hey, Albert. Yeah. Hi. Gee, what a surprise. Uh, yeah, uh, I was just driving down El Camino Real in Palo Alto. I'm from Rio Vista, and I'm a former director of the Bank of Rio Vista. Hmm. That was, we sold to F&M Bank, a Farmers and Merchants Bank. And one of the things I think you, you guys are missing is that there are a lot of very sound smaller banks uh, that are in the region, and uh, I'm sure a lot of the deposits that have been taken out of First Republic and the other banks are going to these places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that... Uh, what happened is, is the banks that failed were deeply embedded in the risk-taking culture of Silicon Valley and didn't adequately adjust for the problems of the new economy with COVID and inflation. Hmm. I mean, it, it, you know, I, yeah. I just think it's, uh, and it's really, were, you know, the, regu- the, reg- the regulators were, didn't do a good job with them. Yeah. So, and, that- and the executives didn't, I mean, they lived in a fantasy world. Yeah, let's this. Uh, uh, Albert, appreciate that call. You raised two interesting points, which I'm going to send. First one um, to uh, to you, Rachel. Uh, do you think that First Republic was embedded in the quote risk culture um, of Silicon Valley in in general? I think that's such an interesting question um, because I guess it's all about what is risky in banking, right? Um, and so often we're thinking about the last crisis. So mm-hmm. if you, you know, one thing that First Republic and Silicon Valley Bank were always saying was like our loans, I mean, more, more so First Republic, our mortgages never, ever, ever go bad for the most part. Mm-hmm. And that's what everyone was thinking about risk. But in reality, the the next crisis is never the same as the last one, though I, you do make a good point in that there are some similarities to the 80s um, right now. But in reality, not diversifying, doubling down on this model, um, not adjusting for a world of higher interest rates and just thinking that, that the thing that made them so successful would just keep doing that forever, mm. that was, was a huge risk. So even though their loans never went bad from a credit perspective of people not mm-hmm. paying them, they were bad in that they were made at such low rates that they created this huge financial problem for the bank that played a role in its undoing. Yeah. Uh, Mark, the second part of Albert's question was about government regulators not dealing well with the bank. We talked about this a lot in the wake of Silicon Valley Bank, that regulations changed, bipartisan act of Congress in 2018, right, that loosened regulations for banks that were sort of not the biggest banks, but were still pretty big. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and whether 
if those regulations had remained intact, um, something different might have happened in this in this case. Yes, I think uh, most people believe if the regulations had remained in place um, that were repealed a few years back, uh, we may have avoided some of these uh, failures. Uh, I think we're going to see an intense focus on boosting regulation on banks, um, and that could have some negative effects in terms of uh, hitting these smaller banks harder. So I do think we're going to see a great deal of discussion on re-regulating banks to avoid uh, some of these problems. And that's usually how it happens. And a, a problem emerges, it erupts. And then we look back and say, what could we have done differently to avoid the situation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was a pretty scathing report that just came out, right, about from uh, one of the directors of the of the Federal Reserve about Silicon Valley Bank, right? Yes, indeed. And they they were uh, the Fed was taking the some of the blame for uh, things going off the rails there. Mm-hmm. So clearly, uh, I think it was a, a wake up call for regulators. Yeah. Um, let's bring in Jennifer in San Francisco. Hey, Jennifer. Hi. Um, I was just listening to the show and I thought uh, something that I, I've also I have a business account at Chase and um when I was setting up my business account, they had asked me about my student loan. And I was telling Chase, you know, when I went to you and wanted to drop my 6.8% interest from the federal government down, Chase told me that they could really only drop it about a percentage point. But First Republic, when I went to them, they were able to drop it to 2.6. And it has absolutely changed so much in my life. And they even offered me a 1.75 but the gentleman I was talking about, talking to, was just so um, thoughtful and caring, and kind of walked me through the process of, uh, you know, even though you could do 1.75, like this is kind of what might be coming up in your life. I just felt like they really held my hand through a process that, um, you know, the federal government was happy at 6.8 and keeping my hands tied with with student loans for decades and decades, and First Republic swooped in and really helped me. Um, and so I, I don't know if, if Chase will be able to change that or not, but it's. Uh, I was really sad to see First Republic mm-hmm. um, be purchased by Chase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that call, Jennifer. Um, on the same note, you know, um, from a different angle, Christopher writes in to say, one note for those who wake up with accounts at J.P. Morgan and longtime customers there too, consider moving your money. Unlike First Republic, J.P. Morgan's one of the worst funders of new fossil fuel projects, and your deposits will go toward climate destruction. Credit unions keep money in the community and are owned by the members. Credit unions are B Corps like Amalgamated Bank and Beneficial State Banks are uh, a much better option, um, says Christopher. Um, another question from Jeffra, um, and I think, Mark May, I think we'll come to you on this one. What should First Republic have done early on when interest rates started to go up to prevent this situation? I think they needed to, at the very least, hedge against rising rates. And it feels like they weren't listening to the leader of the Federal Reserve when he said they're going to be raising rates uh, aggressively and they're going to stay higher for longer. I think that there there was a deaf ear to that. And so... um, it clearly they did not prepare for the rising rate environment as quickly as rates rose. Yeah. Rachel, are, are there things that you have heard? I mean, I remember reading, I think it was a quote in one of your stories where um, the founder of the bank said, you know, our business model works in all environments. 
Yes, they they basically looked back and saw that the period of time when the Fed raised rates last time, which was 2015 to 2018, the bank thrived. They grew tremendously. They made tons of money. But the big difference is, is those, those were very different type of rate hikes. Those were modest. They were pretty slow. And, you know, these are the steepest hikes in decades. And they were adamant, First Republic, about sticking to their business model until the very end. And I mean, just, just the fact that the caller um, mentions offering a loan below 2%. I mean, I can see how that would be just such a, a, a great thing for a customer from a financial standpoint. But, you know, in a world where you're paying like 3% on deposits, making loans at below 2% isn't a very good financial decision for a bank. It is day two of our our spring pledge drive, and we need your help. If you've ever thought about making a donation, please do it now at kqed.org slash donate. We've got a bunch of new thank you gifts you can take a look at, and we hope you'll become a sustaining member. That's kqed.org slash donate. We are here talking about the demise of First Republic Bank and what it means for San Francisco and the Bay Area Joined by Mark Calvey, senior reporter covering banking and finance with the San Francisco Business Times, Rachel Louise Ensign, a reporter with the Wall Street Journal covering millionaires and billionaires, and Jeremy Owens, technology editor and San Francisco bureau chief with Market Watch. You know, Jeremy, I wanted to ask you if part of what's happening here is a bit of like a generational change. Like, does the young wealth of San Francisco actually want to have like a call up your banker kind of relationship or they don't want to do that? Well, I mean, if you look at what they're creating, you know, the the financial technology apps of today are kind of pick up and use and move to a different one. And that's the mentality they all that, that a lot of young people have is, is these services are there to use and then walk away from if you want to. And I, I think that, you know, these banks that, that you know, got into that game and you asked earlier if, if they took on the personality of the tech companies they were servicing and executives. And yes, they did. Right. It was growth at all costs. I, I think the call in was very instructive on if you bring these accounts over, we'll give you a really cut rate on this certain thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what the bank did was not worry about the, the interest rates they were putting on this. They wanted the client. They wanted as many of the accounts that client could have into that bank as possible. And they just wanted to grow, 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 which is the same mentality that Silicon Valley Tech has. Mm. Don't worry about if it's at a loss, right? Don't worry about if our if we're losing money on every Uber ride. Just get more Uber rides, get more clients. And, and it was the same kind of mentality. And that is not long-term thinking. You have to think, change that thinking at some point. Or, and especially in a very regulated space like banking, you're going to run into issues like that. And, and a, a space that is so attuned to outside issues such as the Federal Reserve's interest rates that, that maybe tech can so interesting. Yeah, I mean, Rich, talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, the bank did grow a lot over the last 10 years, yeah? Yeah, both um, Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic grew a lot, and the pandemic really turbocharged that for both banks. I mean, Mm. one fascinating phenomenon from the pandemic was that when it happened, everyone thought the economy would crater, and it did very briefly, and people in certain sectors like hospitality were were very badly affected by it. But overall, um, because there was so much government stimulus, 
people saved, I think it was almost $3 trillion extra during the pandemic. And that money, a lot of it went into banks. So there was this very unusual phenomenon where all of these banks just got a massive, massive influx of deposits and that helped them grow tremendously. And, um, you know, once the Fed started cutting, there was kind of um, the shock where they started losing deposits um, and and had just not necessarily made the take taken the provisions that they needed to to manage that. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at a chart right now of uh, First Republic Bank's assets from 2010 to 2023. And it does. Uh, to to your to your point, Jeremy, it looks like a um, a tech company chart. Right. I mean, it is just up and, and to the right um, from, you know, 20 billion uh, in 2010 to, uh, you know, over 200 billion. And I, it's it's an interesting uh, uh, question of whether that kind of growth is sustainable um, in this in this industry. A um, couple other uh, comments. Margaret writes and say, it's the only bank I've affirmatively liked. First Republic did not nickel and dime you. For example, they had free notary signature guarantee, no ATM fees, ATM fees at other banks to access your First Republic account. They'd reimburse you, no fees on foreign exchange at ATMs, not to mention cookies in the lobby. Another listener writes, First Republic Bank is why I have my house and my growing business as an attorney, dating from after my divorce in the 2008 recession when no one would lend to a new business. It was the personal support and confidence of my personal banker, Haley Thompson, changing my life significantly in a way no other bank would. And Marv writes, so the Fed's up interest rates, we all take it in the shorts and low-end folks get laid off. A bank for the up-end folks goes in the toilet. The feds let Chase buy it for pennies and rich folks can't get low interest rate loans for very expensive homes. One last piece of advice um, from listener Elena says, maybe I'm missing something here, but do some people not understand that they can hold bank accounts at a variety of institutions and that they do not have to have all of their money at one bank? It's convenient, so important that they don't choose to diversify. Um, last thing, Mark, uh, uh, Elena also wanted to know whether the FDIC might increase the insurance cap, you know, uh, it's about a quarter of a million dollars right now. Um, is there any movement that things might move up after these bank failures? I think many people are expecting that the FDIC will bump up that limit uh, in the months or years ahead, because the idea is that household uh, accounts, individuals, don't have to worry about the safety and soundness of their deposits, and they can spread their money around to other banks to spread the deposit insurance. Uh, no one's expecting individuals to become bank analysts and assessing the health of You're their right. bank. Yeah. We've been talking about the demise of First Republic Bank, what it means for San Francisco and the Bay Area. We've been joined by Jeremy Owens, technology editor and San Francisco Bureau Chief with Market Watch. Rachel Louise Ensign, a reporter with The Wall Street Journal, covers millionaires and billionaires. And Mark Calvi, senior reporter covering banking and finance with the San Francisco Business Times. Thank you so much to all three of you. Thank you for your patience on the phone lines. Sorry about that. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.